Well, I want to thank Tony, who's not here, and Ali, who's not here, and Lansford, who is holding the whole thing together, <laughs> for the invitation to come and preach. I have to tell you, it is a terrifying privilege to come and preach to you. But I'm glad to do it. And particularly on this Sunday, when we celebrate black history and racial justice, because I am so conscious. Look at me. I am six foot one of a white Yorkshireman, right? But this is Racial Justice Sunday, and I'm glad to be with you. I've lived in a number of cultures and ministered there. I remember growing up in Huddersfield in West Yorkshire, where as a teenager, it was quite usual for people to shout expletives at others simply because they were of a different race. People, many people had come from the Indian subcontinent to work in West Yorkshire in the worsted mills. I know too, from my wider family, uh, that has people of color as part of it. That abuse still takes place these 50, 60 years later. And where that abuse takes place, that expression for another person, it has prejudice and power behind it. Now, in some ways, the issue about racial justice is over my lifetime, your lifetimes, has actually got better, but it remains an unfinished agenda. Racism prowls around resolute in its intent and severity. Now, Christians everywhere, but particularly Methodist Christians, should find that racism is more than just a social issue because it hits the very heart of our faith. It threatens our understanding of salvation and humanity and God and his intention. We have a commitment to racial justice and a belief that every human being is created by God, is a person for whom Christ has died and risen. And racism, when it gets at a person's racial origins that are used to demean them or to determine their value, that's an assault not just on them, but on Christ's values and teaching and a rejection of his creation and sacrifice. Now this gospel passage that we have here in Matthew's gospel, this gospel passage 
indicates that anger is, according to Jesus, a sin. Jesus highlights that anger is a violation of God's law, which is kind of curious because later on, we find Jesus overturning the tables, shutting the temple down. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute. Here, he identifies that name-calling is liable to judgment. Like someone who called Raka. Raka meaning, you blockhead, you idiot, is a kind of loose translation. Or highlighting in saying to another person, you fool. Now, I have to tell you that, frankly, if this is a significant sin, then there's an awful lot of us that are in deep trouble. We need to understand, however, that name-calling was a serious affair in biblical times because of the importance that was attached to the name. My name is Howard. In biblical times, I would have a name that would describe me, my character. So if you call me by a different name, you're undermining my character, my very being. It's interesting that in a way we seem to be coming full circle. Because today in our culture, how we speak of another, how we address one another, is increasingly seen as vitally important. But what Jesus is getting at here is the underlying issues related to the emotion of anger. For they're not just physical, heard, seen, felt maybe, someone pokes you, but anger that comes out of something deeper spiritual, mental, the very heart of our being. And what he condemns here is anger born of hate, anger seeking to alienate, anger seeking to destroy. But I want to say to you, there's a different kind of anger an anger that is born of a strong, determined caring. Anger born of love for another. Anger that seeks to protect. An anger that calls out sin and evil. An anger shown by Jesus in the temple. And it's not just an emotional response but one that is thoughtful and ultimately kind and just. So racial justice is not about avoiding anger, for that might have the consequence of people being passive or submissive or accepting the status quo. It is, if you like, focused 
anger, seeking to undermine hate with love, seeking to undermine injury with mercy, seeking to undermine hurt with grace. Now that puts a different complexion of what we mean by anger. But just for a moment, let's pause and ask a question. Well, so what then is racism? I put it to you, it is a denial of God's creation for all things, all people were ultimately brought into being by God. And it is good. Okay, I understand. It has been scarred by our capacity for sin and rebellion. But nothing and no one is inherently evil. Sure, as human beings, we have the capacity to deviate from God's will. So sin and evil and gross evil. Now what do I mean by those? Well, sin. Sin is, if you like, the stuff of the things we do wrong, we say and we do and we respond. It isn't our intention, it just kind of happens. But evil. Evil is the hurt we do for reasons of lust or power or hatred. We do it with an intent to use or abuse or hurt others. The kind of physical, sexual abuse that we read about far too often. And gross evil is where whole groups of people are abused. So, for instance, the slave trade of the 17th and 18th century was part of that. Indeed. The slave trade that, that we have in the modern world is part of that. Or, or the crushing of dissent by authoritarian regimes. We've seen it at the moment in Russia. And the, the violent and unnecessary war that is taking place on the borders of Ukraine. We see it in the the Third Reich and the intention of Hitler and his cohort. Or in China with Mao Zedong and the Gang of Four. Or Pol Pot in Cambodia. Actually, you can keep on going. We choose to engage in acts of sin. People choose to inflict acts of evil. People choose the processes of gross evil. It is not inevitable. People choose. And racism, racism is all of these. It is sin as we say things to other people, ignore people. It is evil. 
in the abuse that is done to individuals. And it is gross evil as it is inflicted upon whole groups of people. How do we deal with this? There's a, an African-American theologian called Walter Wink. And he suggests that every power, good or evil, every power has a visible pole and an invisible pole. If you like, it has a, an outer form, what we see, and an inner form, that which makes it tick. And it's the invisible pole, the inner form, which is the heart, the driving force that gives life to the outer form, which legitimates it, regulates its physical manifestations in the world. They're different aspects of the same reality. So, for the power of hate doesn't just happen because of outward action, it starts inside a person, inside a group. The power of love is the same. It isn't just acts of caring and healing and support and encouragement. It starts in the heart. It starts within. So racism is, yes, the words and the actions, but it's the evil within. So the struggle for racial justice is a struggle against a racism that is endemic in systems and communities because it is there from the heart of people. And we need to challenge that. We also need to challenge the policies of local and national government which discriminate against people on the basis of status or color or ethnic background. But it's a change of heart, a change of culture, not just for individuals, a change of heart for the culture about the way we think of others and deal with others. And this is where the the text from Deuteronomy comes in. Because the Lord is saying to his people, look, this is the way to live. Therefore, take hold of this. Choose life. And choosing life is about respecting people, about honoring people, about supporting people, about caring for people. If you like, it is about loving another person. Choosing life is going out of our way to support and stand with the hurting person. Choosing life is intervening to protect people. Choosing life is directing anger for the love of others. Choosing life is challenging the systems and voices that perpetrate sin and evil. In this case, racism and social disadvantage. And some of this is making sure that people are not left out in our communities, not disadvantaged in housing or education provision, or 
being forced to have prepaid meters for gas and electricity. I tell you now, that is a sin. Choosing life is saying to governments, look at your policies. Think about the way they affect the multicultural society in which we live. Make sure that people are not disadvantaged. And we need to say this to our members of parliament. Personally, I think that it's also a call to return to making international aid 0.7% of our gross national income, which is what the United Nations has asked. And most recently, our government has turned its back on it. We need to turn away from the disastrous policies of isolation and exclusion which have had so many negative consequences in the life of our communities across our nation, including the criminalization of migrant and refugee who are fleeing from all kinds of things. But for us, we can call upon them, the government, to do things, others to do it. What about us? We need to model an inclusive community. Whatever our background or status or color or gender, we need to be able to say, all are welcome, all may come. God's grace is for everyone. <coughs> That's a fundamental part of our Methodist heritage. It's also true that we should say with John Wesley, all need to be transformed by God's grace. But fundamentally, all are honored, all are welcome. And because the struggle against racism remains for the UK and for Methodism, an unfinished agenda, we should highlight this welcome. We should celebrate the joy and the richness which comes from benefiting from different cultures. My goodness, just look around at yourselves. What a joyful sight it is to see people from just about every part of the world. And how wonderful for a choir that can sing like they just have done. Fantastic. It contributes so much to our Christian faith our understanding of the gospel and its application, not just here, but in every part of the world. And of course, as part of that, we need to celebrate each other. We come from different parts of the world and Africa. And we just need to take care that in celebrate where we come, we're also able to celebrate where everybody else comes from. Now, one of my heroes, the young people were talking about heroes, one of my heroes is Martin Luther King Jr. I've read all his works and I've read many of the books about him. Yes, he had feet of clay, okay? But on a number of things he was right. He said, 
Love is the greatest force in the universe. It is the heartbeat of the moral compass. He who loves is a participant in the being of God. And sometimes love drives us to be angry. <coughs> angry against racism. Angry against the demeaning of other people. Angry at name calling. For we wish to love people, to stand with people, to honor people. And this isn't a soppy kind of love. It's not an emotional love, but a love that is focused <coughs> on the love of God who wants the transformation of our society and our communities. In this part of the world and indeed across the world. You know, when John Wesley reflected on the purpose of the people called Methodism when he was towards the end of his life, he wrote this, that God has called the people of Methodism to reform the nation. And he said one or two other things, and he finished it, to, and to spread scriptural holiness across the land. Now, many people remember the final phrase to spread scriptural holiness across the land and that's a wonderful thing but the first thing he said was we were there to reform the nation and that's why highlighting issues like racial justice is so important <coughs> in the life of our church And that's why we can be part of it, whoever we are, wherever we live in this city or around the world. We too can stand with those who are being hurt. We too can support those who need it. We too can campaign that actually in ourselves, by ourselves, but with our community, our Christian community, and for our nation and where we live, that we shall honor others. Martin Luther King also said, we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long. It bends toward justice. And so we pray, we work, we hope, that we can have the kind of anger which prompts love, which hurts and weeps and reaches out, but does not give up. In the end, love wins. Therefore, my friends, let us choose life. Let us commit this day to stand for justice racial justice, not just asking them to do it, not just asking us all to do it when we're together, but actually at all times. And may God grant us sufficient love and focused anger to do it. Amen.